0: Hello everybody, my name is Pastor Matt. I am the next gen pastor here at New Life Fellowship. I'm so glad to be able to be with you today, to be able to share from the word of God um, on this fine day. I would like to take a moment before I begin though, and we wanna honor and celebrate the class of 2020 that you guys have graduated and you've worked hard to get to this point and to get to where you are, and we want to acknowledge you. So from, here, from us here at New Life Fellowship, right to you, we want to say a huge congratulations to all of you, and we want to take a moment to just pray over you and pray over what it, whatever it is that you're about to embark on from this moment forward. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. We celebrate and we honor this, this class of people who've graduated, who've moved on in, this t- in the next stage or the next phase of their education. And God, we thank you for the opportunity that they have to, to learn and to grow and to develop new skills. And Father, as they venture out into whatever, what's next, I pray that they would do so seeking your wisdom, seeking your guidance and seeking your hand on their life. Father, I pray that wherever they put their feet, they would prosper. I pray that wherever they go, they would know that you are with them, that you have illuminated the path that's ahead of them, and, Father, that they would walk forward trusting in you. For those looking for jobs, I pray that they would be fruitful in their pursuit of jobs. For those looking at going to college, I pray, Father, that they would tackle that new experience. They would go into it headlong, trusting that you are with them, that you are guiding them, that you have something special for them. For those moving into high school and middle school and moving into elementary school, God, I I pray that you are developing and growing them into the people that you want them to be. We thank you for for this next generation of young people who are just moving along and moving forward. And I pray that they would be people marked by relationship with you. People marked by an ambition for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today I want to bring a message to, to all of us called A New Ambition. It's called A New Ambition. We're in this series on the book of Philippians, and I am so thankful that I get to bring this to you because we can have a new and a joyful ambition. There was a time in my life when I used to think of ambition as a bad word. It was a bad word for me simply because it was always tied to competition. I wanted to do anything and everything possible to get ahead and be better than anyone else. But it wasn't just to be about being better. See, it was about being the best, but not the best out of a sense of my work ethic, my dedication, a commitment to whatever it is that I was doing. It was about being the best simply so I could brag about being better than everyone else. I often wanted God to make me the best. And again, just to be clear, not because I worked hard, I just simply wanted him to make me into the best version of whatever it is that I was trying. So when I started preaching for the first time, my desire was actually to be the best preacher, not because I was prepared, not because I studied. Simply, I just wanted God to make me the absolute best. When I played basketball when I was younger and I had my hoop dreams, I wanted to be the best basketball player, but I didn't want to practice. Whatever I did, whoever I did it with, I wanted to be the best. When I was with my friends, I wanted to be better than all of them at anything that we did, from video games to sports. And it often frustrated me when that wasn't the case. You see, it was also my ambition that in 2008, it led me to launch my 2028 campaign for president of the United States. I was so inspired by seeing Barack Obama win that I thought that could be me. I figured that 20 years would be enough time to put some things together, to come up with a campaign strategy, to raise some money and eventually win an election because if I ain't gonna win, I ain't gonna run. So right there that night, I thought about the next 20 years and 20 minutes later I realized I don't wanna do any of that at all. See, it's, it's this idea of, of ambition that I recognized. That, All of my ambitions were about one thing. They were all about me. All of my ambitions were self-guided and self-directed. They were all about what I could benefit if I were to attain them. If something could bring me fame, acclaim, renown, notoriety, or money, then let me tell you that's exactly what I was ambitious for. It's exactly what I was most ambitious for. I thought getting those things would be something that would validate me, that would make me into someone that other people would value. My desire to be the best wasn't about anything other than being able to point out to people how much better I am than they were. You know, I, I wish I was standing here today and able to tell you that this is something that I've conquered. I've beaten it. It's over. It's done. But there are still times now when my ambition whispers in my ear and suggests that I go after things, suggests that I do certain things simply because of what it'll bring to me. And the Apostle Paul, in writing Philippians, spends some time talking about his ambitions. He's talking about the stuff that he was going after, the things that he built his life on. This was a man driven by his ambition, but to what end? Well, let's look at Philippians 3, 8 to 14 and find out together. Philippians 3, verse 8 says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead continues in verse 12 I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We pick up, we pick up with Paul right after he's gone through this whole discussion about the reasons he would have to boast. He's got a list of accomplishments and things that he felt at the time made him righteous because that's what he was most concerned with. He talks about how he was a a Jew that followed the law to the letter. He did everything he could to make sure he was living out the absolute best version of himself so that he could gain this righteousness he was after. This wasn't just a written law. This wasn't just a written law. It also had a lot to do with his national identity that the Jewish people carried around with them. It was a birthright. They were the people of God and Paul was among them. And he wanted you to know that there were certain rights and privileges afforded to him because of what he was born into. But then he says something in verse 8. and He says something that would have upset anyone that heard it. And truthfully, if we're honest, as we dig into this scripture, it should disorient us too. It should bother us a little bit if we're willing to be honest with ourselves about our ambition. This is what Paul writes in verse 8. Everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul's built his entire life on a a particular set of values with a specific set of rules he was following, and he did it better than most people. To the point where he's telling them, he's telling everybody reading this, if I start bragging, you don't have a chance. If I start bragging, you won't measure up. Now this same guy is saying that he thinks of all these things he's gained before, all this stuff that he was boasting in, he thinks of it as worthless in comparison to knowing Christ. In fact, he says that he put those things aside. He's looking to discard them. They were trash to him now for the sake of removing anything from his life that he was putting more confidence in than Jesus. Paul used to live like his activity would be the thing to make him right with God. He was counting on his own record, his own behavior, his own adherence to the law, his own national identity to make him righteous. His ambition led him to pursue those things, and that's what he built his life on. And it's the very thing he's calling right now garbage. He's realized that it's not by his ability, but through faith in Christ and what Jesus accomplished on the cross that he can become righteous. Paul's realized something that I think it's important for all of us to wrap our minds around, and it's simply this, unless I consider certain things garbage, I can't gain Christ. Unless we start to think of certain things as garbage, we will never gain Christ the way that he intended for us to. If any one of us were to take an honest look at our lives, what would we discover we've been ambitious for? What would you find? What things have we believed somehow earned us more value, gave us greater status, won us favor with God? For me, notoriety has always been a big one. I have this desire to be known, but not just known. I want to be sought out also. Every time I'm invited to speak somewhere, the first conversation I'm having with myself is, maybe this is my big break. Maybe now is when I start to get recognized. Sometimes I attend conferences and I sit there and wonder, why am I not one of the people presenting at this thing? There's something in me that believes that the notoriety I seek is going to fulfill the desire I have to be known. But let me tell you something, I'm already known. I'm known and loved by God. And that needs to be my primary ambition. That needs to be the thing I strive for more than anything else in this world. But I I wish I could tell you that my desire for those things is solely to use whatever gifts I have to help advance the kingdom of God. But the truth is, it's mostly just about me. It's mostly just about me. But notoriety apart from Jesus is garbage. What things do you need to start to think of as worthless if it means you gain Christ? Is it where you live? You've got a big house up on the hill and we think and we believe that that's the thing that's going to elevate us. Maybe you're living what some would call the American dream. Maybe it's the job that you have or the degree hanging on your wall, the college acceptance letters that you received or the relationship that you're in. Is it your physical fitness? How about your looks or your sense of humor or or your social media following? Maybe it's your church attendance or your weekly giving. There's no shortage of things that we can put our confidence in. There's no shortage of things we believe make our lives more valuable, somehow better, or make us right with God. And many of you have worked really hard to get to those places and and to get to those things. It's these very things that Paul is looking at and calling trash, and those are his words. He's holding up everything his life was about, and he's realized that next to knowing Jesus, everything else is coming up garbage. You see, it was ambition that led him to the things he thought would make him righteous, and now he looks at everything as worthless in comparison to just knowing Jesus. He looks at anything that gets in the way of him gaining Christ as garbage, and he puts it aside. See, I don't think we're all that different from Paul in this way. We use ambition to bring some sense of completion and fulfillment to our lives. We think and even say things like, when I get that house, I'll be okay. When I get that car or get into that school, if I can get that new phone or when I get that job or make that salary. And to be clear, I don't think those are bad things. But if you're expecting these things to do for you what only God in Christ can, all you have is garbage. You're just going to be disappointed because of all the promises that we build our lives on aside from Jesus will ultimately just fail you. Paul knows this from experience. He's lived it. He's talking about this shift in in his ambition and in his values. And we see this clearly because verse 10 pulls back the curtain and he tells you exactly what he wants more than anything else. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He wants to know Christ more than anything else. But I want you to pay attention to this, because he doesn't want part of Christ. He wants all that comes with it. And honestly, what's so challenging to me is that Paul wants more than just a blessing that comes from knowing Jesus. He wants to experience both the power that raised Jesus from the dead and he wants to share in his suffering. How often do we think of the benefits of our faith and try to hide from the uncomfortable parts like suffering? Paul's looking to experience the power of God that will bless his life. Yes, absolutely. He knows it'll make him more alive than he's ever been before, but he's also saying he wants to experience suffering in the way that Jesus did, even if he has to die. That's where it starts to get a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? I think we can all agree that the good parts of the gospel are really appealing. We want blessings that come from walking with God. We want our prayers answered. We want our sins forgiven. We want some version of the abundant life that Jesus promised. But who signs up to suffer? Who goes out of their way to suffer? Who is ambitious for suffering? Let me tell you, and I'll be the first one to say this today, I'm not. On a a really good day, On a really good day, like I've had a good day with God, I've done my morning prayer, I've read my Bible. On that day, on those really good days, I wake up and I hope that I don't have to endure anything difficult at all. But suffering is a very real part of what it means to be a Christian. All you have to do is look at Jesus. He suffered on the cross for us, and he's a model of the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about. It's a redemptive suffering. And I came across these words from from Dr. King speaking on the redemptive nature of suffering, this is what he says. There is something at the very center of our faith which reminds us that Good Friday may rain for a day, but ultimately it must give way to the triumphant beat of the Easter drums. There is no resurrection without suffering. There is no resurrection. There's no coming back without suffering. And Paul is pointing to the redemptive power of suffering. And so it's not that he's masochistically looking forward to it. He's looking forward to what it produces in him in a way that he knows nothing else can. It's not that suffering of itself is good. It's just that a newfound intimacy with life, with others, and with God is usually not attained any other way. Suffering in our lives will come, but it produces fruit that leads us closer to God, helps us grow in love for him, and develop a greater appreciation of the things he's done because we can see them so much more clearly. Paul is done thinking about self-preservation or self-success. He's saying, if I have to suffer... But the gospel still goes out through my life. If my life points to Jesus, then so be it as long as I gain Christ. Because I don't want anything more than I want Jesus. I think that's a a word that I need to, I need to, that's a, I should form that as a question and ask myself, is there anything that I want more than Jesus? And all of this that Paul's talking about comes from this incredible place of humility, which stands in contrast to the boasting he wrote about earlier. He doesn't believe that he's attained any of this. He doesn't think that he's somehow arrived or that he's a finished work. Instead, he has this new ambition. It's driving him towards Jesus and a desire for all that it means to follow him. Verse 12 says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Amen. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This is where you see Paul's ambition now. He's not resting on what he accomplished yesterday. He's not living on the blessings of yesterday or of last month. He doesn't believe that he's reached any of the things he's striving for. He doesn't believe that he's suddenly perfect. I think sometimes it's easy for us to get to a point where we're satisfied with what we know of God today. And truthfully, maybe we're hoping that he doesn't call us to anything that's going to cost us something. We get to this place where we don't believe that there's any more to do. I mean, I'm saved after all, so what else could there possibly be? Well, Jesus didn't take hold of you or me so that we could get complacent. He didn't come here and die on the cross so that we could stop pursuing relationship with him and loving others. I think about all the times when I've had this really lazy approach to faith, or sometimes I'm not really interested in doing what I need to so I can point my ambitions toward God. But how about you? What are your ambitions pointing you towards? Are you ambitious for yourself, for your life, for the things that will benefit only you? Where are your ambitions for God leading you? See, Paul's using this idea of pressing on to head toward what Jesus came here for. Jesus came and died so we could have a relationship with him, not just an encounter, not just an experience, not just a quick trip to the top of a mountain, but a lasting relationship where we are further crafted into the image of who God made each of us to be. Jesus came after us so that we could be saved, have a relationship with God, and fulfill the potential that he breathed into each one of us and point others toward that same love. We have to press on if we want to get anywhere near that life. Even someone like Paul, who we hold in high regard, whose letters we study, who's someone we look at as a model of this Christian faith, he didn't believe he was finished being crafted into that image, so he pressed on and he kept going. We need to keep going. For you and I, that might mean we have to keep on praying when we don't feel like it. It might mean we have to keep showing up for online church when we get tired of it. It might mean we have to keep telling our friends and our neighbors about this faith we have in Jesus, even if they shut us down. It means we have to keep caring for the poor, keep studying the word of God, and keep asking ourselves what we're putting our confidence in today. It means when we start to feel like we've done enough, we need a reminder that we will never have enough. We can never get enough of God on this side of eternity There's always more that we can know. There's more that we can experience, and that's good news. It means that he'll meet your ambition for him by showing you more of himself. The beauty of this is that God sent Jesus so we could know him, and he he sent the spirit to come after to help stoke the fires of our ambition for God. We're always going to have to deal with the temptation to go back, though. To go back to putting confidence in our accomplishments or what we've accumulated. To keep pursuing other things. But Paul says that he's forgetting what's behind and he's straining toward what's ahead. You know, forgetting is interesting because it's the the language he uses suggests that this is ongoing work. He doesn't say that I've forgotten and I don't remember anymore. All you have to do is look at verse 6 and 7 where he's talking about his past. He's talking about the things he used to put confidence in. He's talking about the things that he's built his life on. He clearly remembers the way his past has shaped who he is today and the way that it can impact his future. He's saying simply that he has to remember to forget to put confidence in those things. He has to remember to forget the things he used to put confidence in. He has to keep straining forward so he doesn't get complacent in what he knows of God today. And Paul is suggesting that we need to remember to keep on forgetting the things that we're ambitious for that don't lead us to God. We need to take a look at those things and if we find that we're expecting whatever they are, if we're expecting them to do for us what only God in Christ can, they're garbage and we need to constantly remember to forget them. You see, for Paul, it's important that he keeps on going so that he can keep on growing. He wants to get deeper into this relationship with Christ. He wants his ambition to keep pushing him to know Jesus more today than he did yesterday. For Paul, every fiber of his being was set on reaching the goal and purpose of gaining more of Christ today than he knew yesterday. And so he looks at his life and he calls it a race. He calls it a race, one with an undefined finish line. He has no idea when the end of the race will come, so he's decided to just keep running. He's he's gonna keep going, even though he has no clue when it will be over, because he knows that the end of the race is a prize of matchless worth that nothing can possibly measure up to. He's saying, I wanna know Christ so badly that I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep pressing. And at the end of the race, he'll be with Christ and know him in all his fullness, completely unbound by any human limitation whatsoever. It's at that point that he'll experience the perfection that he strived for his entire life. And this is what every believer in Jesus is called to. It's what every believer in Jesus can look forward to, but we have to keep on running. So my suggestion to all of us is that we need to recalibrate our ambition and take on this new ambition. We need to pray for God's help in order to get there because it's a joyful ambition that puts us on a path that leads straight to God. And let me tell you, anytime we find ourselves on a path headed to God, it's cause for rejoicing. There's a life with God unlike anything we've ever experienced or anything this world can offer. It's your real life. It's the life that you were made for. So what would it look like today if our ambition drove us to Jesus? Jesus. What would it look like if we lived like we wanted to know Christ more than we wanted anything else in the world? When we're ambitious for God, we're ambitious for the kingdom of God. It means that we can be ambitious for justice in an unjust world, it means that we can be ambitious for equality. It means that we can be ambitious to give a voice to the voiceless or stand in solidarity with those who are mistreated. It means that we can be ambitious to feed the poor or discover an ambition to protect the vulnerable where it means that we're ambitious to treat every person like they're made in the image of God. See, see, Whatever the ambition is, all of it can be summed up by saying that we're ambitious to see God's kingdom come and his will done in our lives and in the world around us. That's what an ambition for God leads to. Those, those are the things that have eternal value. Those are the things that give your life meaning and can never be called trash. Our lives stop being primarily about us reaching goals so we can boast, and they become instead about first and foremost boasting in Jesus. And boasting in what he's done for us on the cross, that's an ambition that shouts, I want to know Christ. Whatever comes, I just want to know Christ. In so many ways, our lives have been slowed down by this pandemic that we're experiencing. But what if the good that can come of all we're going through now is that it's given us a chance to work on rewiring our ambitions? What if we started to use the ambition we have to go deeper into a life with God? See, it's not easy and it won't be free of suffering or difficulty, but I believe it's worth it because we gain Christ and there is nothing better. As Pastor Rich comes up in a a moment to lead us in communion, I want to leave you with this verse of Scripture, Philippians 3, verse 10. It says this. It talks about this new ambition. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. May all of us have such an ambition to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I I pray that all of us can take up this call, this charge to be ambitious for you. To want to pursue you more than we want anything else in this world or anything else this life has to offer. Might our ambitions for other things be replaced with an ambition for the things that move your heart an ambition to see your kingdom come and your will be done. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Amen. What a great gift we received in this message from Matt. We're going to take communion in a moment and What I want to remind you of as we approach our tables around our homes is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is the message that God's ambition to be with you is always greater than your ambition to be with God. God's ambition to be with you and be for you is always greater than our ambition to be with God. Jesus Christ had one ambition, and that was to rescue the world through suffering love. And this is why we come to the table of communion, to be reminded of the extent to which Christ went to demonstrate his love towards us, to show his ambition towards us. And so I want to lead us in in communion. Uh, For those of you who are prepared to receive it, want to give us a moment to confess our sins. Pray a prayer of generosity. Before we do that, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And let's just offer our own repentance before God. We have had many different ambitions. Some good, some bad. And yet today is an opportunity to say, Lord, may my primary ambition be to love you and to demonstrate that love to the world around me. Let's take a moment for your own repentance before God and then we'll pray a prayer of confession together. Amen. Let's pray this prayer of confession together before we receive the bread and the cup. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault in thought in word and deed and what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name, amen. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the people of God, let's all receive the body of Christ together. Paul continues. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the loving ambition of Jesus Christ. Let's all receive together. Amen. As we close our service, I want to remind you that there's some ways that you can connect with our community. At the end of the service, we'll have our prayer room, our virtual prayer room. So feel free to click on that link on our website or on our Facebook page. And there's also a virtual lobby to connect with some of our pastors. And so if you just want to see some faces connect with some people that you haven't seen personally and physically in a while, feel free to join us on that as well. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit with your ambition being directed to God, to loving Christ with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. I bless you today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the risen name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen grace and peace to you all. See you next week.